in the 24, 24th chapter of Luke is, a, is an account of a post-resurrection appearance. I'm sure it's one that's dear to you. Cleopas is a disciple. He's traveling the road from Jerusalem to Hot Springs or Emmaus. The road, he's, on the, he's on the road to Emmaus and he's with a friend and he's with an unnamed friend. Remember the story? It's a beautiful post-resurrection appearance. He's walking along with a friend and he's discouraged or sad because he's sort of confused about what's going on. And he was a follower of Jesus, a disciple. And then a stranger appeared on the road to Emmaus, a man that neither of them recognized, and he began to teach them the things about Jesus. There was some dialogue, and he began to teach them the things about Jesus in the Old Testament. When they uh, reached the end of their journey in Emmaus, they invited him in for dinner, and he stayed for dinner. And in the breaking of the bread, it was revealed to them that the stranger on the road to Emmaus was Jesus Christ himself, appearing alive after his death. And they talked about it later. They said, our hearts burned within us when, we were, when he was teaching us on, on the road. I imagine that one of the places that Jesus explained, one of the passages that Jesus explained to the disciples on the road to Emmaus was the one that Ed Hill just read to us this morning, the seventh chapter of Daniel. Was that not beautiful? And today we turn our attention to the seventh chapter of Daniel, and if you're um, if you're like I was in algebra class when I was a kid, I was lost on the first day. Um, if you're like I was in algebra class, I, I was thinking, can you slow down and can you back up and can you keep me on board? Next week, we take a break from the continual study of the book of Daniel. We've gone straight through chapters 1 through 6. Well, obviously... Lord willing, cover chapter 7, teach chapter 7 today. We'll take a break from our continuous teaching in Daniel next week as Ty Perry preaches, and you'll love Ty, uh, so don't miss that. And then we'll begin again, but what we'll do before we jump right into 8 and begin to teach chapter 8 is we'll, we'll do a little review and a flyover and a synthesis of sorts, and we'll, we'll answer some questions. We'll talk about some of the great personages that arise today, mysterious and enigmatic personage that arises in our text today and even causes Daniel to ask questions. And we'll talk a bit about that. And then obviously the book of Daniel has brought up more than once now the kingdom of the one who's called a stone there in, in chapter 2 and the son of man in chapter 7 and this great kingdom that is eternal. And we'll talk a little bit about that mysterious personage and about this great kingdom and we'll orient ourselves why does the book of Daniel change from Aramaic and from chapters 2 to 7 and change to Hebrew in chapters 8 through 12. Why would that be? We'll talk 
a little bit about that. And there is an interesting structure in Daniel. If you look at the book of Daniel, you notice it doesn't just go 1 through 12 in, in a chronological order. There's a much more beautiful literary, a sophisticated literary structure within Daniel that scholars uh, have noted. And it, it has something interesting to say, which will be relevant to us. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. Now, uh, Carvello, an Italian painter, did a painting of the disciples at dinner in Emmaus. And to, this week I was looking at that painting, a beautiful, beautiful classical painting. And, and one of the disciples has his hands on the chair like he's getting ready to get up. And it's a, a universal sign of it, of of enthusiastic engagement. He, he's discouraged on the road to Emmaus, but when he gets taught about Jesus in the Old Testament, he has, he has new life, and the disciples have enthusiasm on their face, and it's like they have, they have joy and purpose and understanding in their heart because they've been taught the Old Testament by Jesus. It's a lot to expect, but I'd like for you to leave that way today with a new enthusiasm for what God is doing in the world, even though everything around you might be chaotic. Moody has a commentary on this, and they put it succinctly. Daniel 7 is one of the most important chapters in the whole Old Testament. It's located at the center of the book of Daniel, and it is an essential guide to biblical prophecy. Moreover, the vision of the Son of Man is the centerpiece of the Old Testament revelation concerning Messiah. The king's dream of the statue in chapter 2 and Daniel's vision that we read today in chapter 7, they form a parenthesis, an inclusio, for the Aramaic section of Daniel. Written as a parallel then, you are going to see in chapter 7 a reflection of what you saw that was introduced in chapter 2. There are two different symbols talk about the rise and fall of the same four kingdoms with some interesting detail. Daniel's literary structure is artful, and it is sophisticated, and it doesn't follow a straight chronological order. The literary structure is doing something else. The first six chapters of Daniel recount basic historic incidents in order, almost like Daniel said, let me tell you six, in six different chapters, some fascinating things that happened that should strengthen your faith in a time when there's chaos or difficulty or fear around you, or you're facing things that you thought maybe you would never face. In the second section, Daniel begins a journal, if you will, of his own dreams and visions. He's interpreted dreams and visions in the first half. They were someone else's dreams and visions. He has his own dreams and visions in the second half, but they are something fascinating to study. And in this second chunk, if you will, it really kind of ends with chapter 7, but, but it's a dream and a vision 7 through 12. You, you're, gonna, you're going to see a journal of his dreams and visions. And there's something even more fascinating than that. There's the use of these two languages. And we'll describe that in some detail and talk about that more next week. But you might ask the question, why would God give Daniel two different visions of these, the rise and fall of these kingdoms in ancient Mesopotamia? Why 
two different symbols. One is a great uh, humanitarian, it's a statue. Uh, it's like an achievement. It's like a, it's a statue of human achievement, if you will. And the other one, a picture of grotesque beast. Some have said in chapter 2, you have man's view of the rise and fall of human kingdoms. And in chapter 7, you have God's view of the rise and fall of human kingdoms. Someone has said in chapter 2, you have the Gentile view, how they see themselves in the succession of human kingdoms, one after another, like, a, like an image. But in chapter 7, you have how the Hebrews would see these, the rise and fall of these kingdoms, which were very hard on the Jewish people. But it's God who raises up, and it's God who puts down these nations. And still today, God raises up and God puts down. And you see that as you begin to read chapter 7, and immediately you're confronted with some mysteries and some symbolism that could confuse you. But you'll notice that something that's very consistent is that the actor is God. God is acting behind the human, you know, agents. It, for the first, it was like a lion, had eagle's wings, and then as I looked, the wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet, made to stand. Uh, in verse uh, 6, uh, after I looked, behold, another like a leopard with four wings uh, of a bird on its back, and the, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And say it took dominion or it had dominion. Its dominion was given to it. It was the other beast. It was made to stand in. Verse 5, God acts on another beast, the second one, like a bear, raised up on one side, had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told. It was like it was given direction, arise and devour much flesh. The point I'm making, you, you got it, didn't you? God is acting in the rise and fall of these, and you're going to see these are nations or these are kingdoms, um, and so we're going to deal with chapter 7 in three simple statements to simplify things. The first one is human kingdoms rise and fall. You're going to see that in verses 1 through 8, these symbolic beasts, they, they represent kings and kingdoms. And we know that because the perhaps angel who speaks to Daniel in chapter uh, 7 and verse 17 specifically decodes that for us. These are kingdoms and kings, and it says so in verse 17. So human kingdoms rise and fall, and we see that in verses 1 through 8. But then in verse 9, you have this amazing passage that should have moved you. Your heart should have beat fast. A tear should have formed you. We're all emotionally wired different, so it's okay if you didn't behave that way. But if, but if you're like I am, that, that's the part, that's the sweet spot right there. We get to meet the Ancient of Days. Who is this Son of Man? What is this eternal kingdom? Anybody with a spiritual pulse it should quicken at that point in that, in, in that particular verse, which is introduced there in verse 9 and travels through verse 14. You have God's kingdom is eternal. Here are the two statements, two really simple statements. And the third statement is kind of an application. This is how we're dealing with this text today. Human kingdoms rise and fall. And you could say at God's command, verses 1 through 8, human kingdoms rise and fall at God's command. Second chunk, God's kingdom is eternal. God's kingdom is eternal, verses 9 through 14. And the third thing, this will be fairly simple for you to understand. Keep this picture in mind. This is what you should be thinking about. 
And why why do I say that? You're going to notice that in this next chunk, Daniel's like, I have questions. And he's somebody standing nearby, probably an angel, and he says, can you please explain this to me? And then Daniel kind of reiterates what he's seen, and the angel speaks it back to him and gives him initially a very simple and concise and precise, simple, this is what's up. And then Daniel's like, I still have more questions. And the angel goes into a little bit more detail, and Daniel ends kind of like in awe. You notice Daniel is verse 15, it says, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. And the way the text ends is interesting. Here's the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, verse 28, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. Um, Some Christians, when they study Bible, when they think about Bible prophecy, which we're talking about today, I mean, why wouldn't we? Is not the return of Christ nearer than ever before? You wouldn't have to be that sharp to know. Of course it is. And why would we talk more about leadership in church than we do about Jesus coming back? Why would we talk more in church about kind of therapeutic, like taking the Bible and making it a manual for therapy, which is a high and holy thing, therapy itself, but why would we talk more about making the Bible a therapeutic manual than we would about, oh, and by the way, one day the sky will open and Jesus will return on the clouds in judgment to establish an eternal kingdom upon earth. People who love God and have the Holy Spirit living in them love the Bible and the focus of the Bible if you don't have an enthusiasm about Jesus Christ returning, the scriptures actually say there's a special reward for those who love his return. And so I would just challenge you to pay attention to your Bible, not just to use it for a leadership manual or therapeutic uh, help, though it can be both, but to see it for what it is, and that is tracing the movements of Almighty God who will return one day in power and great glory. But what's interesting to me is even believers who love the Lord, when they think about Bible Bible prophecy, their feelings are mixed. And sometimes in the past, I've been tempted to chastise them. You should be excited about Jesus' return. Tell Daniel. Interesting, isn't it? Daniel's a little nervous. Daniel is troubled, and in a bit, I will tell you why I believe that that is true. But these these are the three things to be watching for. Let's go back to the first one. Human kingdoms rise and fall like beasts in chaos. In verses 1 through 8, you have the, the list of these four beasts. Daniel has a dream in which four grotesque beasts rise out of an angry, chaotic sea. The beasts represent kings, verse 17, and the sea represents the earth, also verse 17. These are the same kings and the same kingdoms that are described in the same order in the image in chapter 2. Why two different symbols, four kingdoms as a stately image? Could be man's view, repeating myself here, of the rise and fall of human kingdoms, four beasts would be God's way of seeing them. A stately image was the Gentile view, grotesque, dangerous beasts would have been the way the Hebrew people would have seen them. Since 2 through 7 are in Aramaic, that chapter 7 is really a conclusion and summary of the first section, even though you might be tempted to look at Daniel and go, oh, I see how this works. Chapters 1 through 6 are those stories, and chapters 7 through 12 are those prophecies. So you can say, oh, this is history, and that's prophecy. 
And there's a sense in which that's true, but the language, the way the language is used gives away a different kind of structure, which we'll talk about more when we return to this in August on the 7th. But there is this lion and, and eagle in, in chapter 7 and verse 4, and it should remind you of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. Lion with eagle's, wig, eagle's wings, feathers plucked off, and the mind of a man is given to it. You remember what happened with Nebuchadnezzar in chapter uh, 7 and verse 5. You have the picture of a lopsided bear, Medo-Persia, three ribs or enemies. We're not told who they are. He's told to rise and devour. Um, the leopard then is in verse 6 um, with wings. He's fast. Greece is represented by this leopard with wings, a fast-moving under Alexander the Great, Greece moved fast, conquered the world, the known world quickly in swift judgment. And then another beast in verse 7, more terrifying. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful, exceeding strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Bible scholars, many of them, most of them identify this as they would in the image in, in, in chapter 2 as Rome. So you have the, and this is the way it happened in human history. Uh, Babylon was conquered by Medo-Persia. Medo-Persia was conquered by Greece. And then Greece ruled the world. And out of that, in verse 8, came a, a, a ruler, a leader, represented by a horn out of ten horns. And he's uh, blasphemous. He's verbal and he's blasphemous. I considered the horns, verse 8, and behold, there came among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. There'll be more about him later, significantly more about him later. And he's given other names in other places of the Bible, but keeping it really simple, what do we have here? A picture of this clear, but we have, and it says so. The angel gives us the interpretation, verses 17 and 18. You have out, out of an angry, chaotic sea, out of the chaos of humanity, rise four different kingdoms, one after another, with different characteristics and different kings, one after another. And this is given to us prophetically before it happened in the book of Daniel. This is a remarkable and amazing and miraculous thing. So it strengthens one faith, one's faith in the prophetic teachings of the Word of God. Now, this, so, so human kingdoms rise and fall like beasts in chaos. You have this, this angry sea. You know what they say when you visit the West Coast or you visit the ocean. When I visit the West Coast, people always say, don't turn your back on the sea. Never turn your back on the sea because it's dangerous. And it's the picture that you have. What's it a picture of? Human kingdoms are chaotic. They're not peaceful. And what you see in Daniel 7 is a little bit like you might remember when we teach through the book of Revelation that we have the heaven cam and the earth cam. And in Revelation, you have that too. You have descriptions of heaven and the way God sees the world and his order and his peace and his worship and his beauty and then you have the world and the human kingdoms, and you have a lot of ugliness and chaos and rebellion and blasphemy and demonic things. You see that all through Revelation. You see it very clearly here in Daniel 7. So the first chunk that we just kind of went through was the four beasts from the sea. Human kingdoms rise and fall like beasts in chaos. We'll see this again later as it's interpreted a couple of times 
later in the chapter. But notice the second thing. When the Son of Man comes, the eternal kingdom of the ancient of days will replace all the other earthly kingdoms. I wish I had a different voice to use when I said that. That's, that's kind of remarkable. You ever notice how much stuff that we read in church, like we read over these remarkable things like they're not a big deal? Yeah, that, that would be a good example. How do, you, how do you do justice to this? When the Son of Man comes, the eternal kingdom of peace from the ancient of days will replace forever all the other earthly kingdoms. Amen. Nothing and no one will successfully oppose it. Now that's what you're going to see when you read again with me Verses 9 through 14. Let's just do that. If ever there was a sweet spot in a text, this is it. As I looked, thrones were placed. Thrones were placed. And the Ancient of Days, ask who is that? The Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were open. You want to be asking yourself, is this a throne or a, or a courtroom? And the answer is yes. It's a throne room and it's a courtroom. It's clearly a courtroom. Judgment is going to happen here. And the one sitting on the throne, the Ancient of Days, and other thrones around. And this reads a lot like the first text I ever took as your pastor in September of 17, Revelation verses chapters 4 and 5. It's a picture of the throne room of God and the throne of God. And I looked in verse 11, and I looked, and because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, again, the fourth kingdom was Rome, and out of this, the ten horns are leaders, and he defeats three others, and this one particular noisy, blasphemous, talking, blasphemous leader comes forward to speak. I looked because of the sound of the great words the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast, it's called the beast here, was killed. By the way, other places in the Bible is called the Antichrist. Here he's called the little horn. He's also called the beast. Um, there are other names for him in the Bible. As I looked, the beast was killed and his body destroyed and given over and burned with fire, which happens to the beast in Revelation 13 as well. As for the rest of the beasts, the kingdoms and kings, their dominion was taken away. Their lives are prolonged for a season at a time. Now, there are parts of this I'm sure that you find difficult to understand. Who wouldn't? But the main thing is plain, and the plain thing is the main thing, and that is that the one on the throne is absolutely and finally overcoming all the other human kingdoms, and the bla including the, the loudmouth blasphemer. Now, the Son of Man is given dominion, verse 13 now we're going to meet the Son of Man. We met the Ancient of Days. We now meet the Son of Man. And I saw in the night visions, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. By the way, name Son of Man 41 times in Matthew, 81 times in the Bible. Jesus' favorite name for himself, Son of Man. And it indicates 
that he's human, that Jesus is human, that Messiah is human. And he comes on clouds as indication of his deity and his judgment. And that's always repeated in the New Testament at the return of Christ. He's coming in clouds, coming in judgment. He's taken away in the cloud, he'll come back in the cloud. And I saw in the night visions, behold, verse 13, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. It sounds like Revelation 4 and 5, doesn't it? And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and all the peoples and nations and languages serve him. It sounds like Revelation 4, 5, and, and 7, doesn't it? Sounds exactly like it. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion was an, is an everlasting dominion and it shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Is this not the sweetest of the sweet spots? Yes, it is. As for me, Daniel says, verse 15, my spirit was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. It's like, oh, this is, this is too much to take in. But let's review. Let's review. Uh, notice he, he takes his seat. His seat is a throne. It's a courtroom and a throne room. He sits in judgment, in verse 26. The Ancient of Days is seated on a throne. His clothing's white as snow. His hair is pure like wool. His throne is of fiery flames, wheels burning with fire, stream of fire from his mouth. Thousands and thousands served him 10,000 times. 10,000 stood before him. Court sits in judgment. Books are open. Little horn has his last words. He's silenced. He's killed. He's burned with fire. Same as Revelation 13. Beast dominion is taken away, and all their days are numbered. They're controlled by God. And that's exactly what it says in Acts uh, 17. He determines their time and the boundaries of all nations, and that would include our beloved America. Then you have again 13 and 14, this picture of the Son of Man, the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man, the kingdom that will never end. Think about those things. Keep in mind, keep a picture. Your, your, your arms will be on the chair like this, and you'll be ready to go if you have a picture of the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man, and the Eternal Kingdom. I know you're worried. I know you're wondering who's going to get elected, what's going to happen to the economy. Get ready to go. You have a story to tell. Something's happening. God's in control. The Ancient of Days is on the throne. The Son of Man is coming. The kingdom is in the wings. Get ready to go. The disciples went back to Jerusalem, seven miles to Emmaus, seven miles back to Jerusalem. They're hiking all that, that Lord's, that first Lord, that resurrection Sunday. They go, they have a meal. They go back, they tell everybody, 14 miles. They're hiking around, up and down. And, and they're eating on both, it's kind of cute, they're eating on both ends. We have a meal here, then we go and we meet there. Anyway, they were, they, were, uh, they were changed when they got a vision of the Son of Man and the Ancient of Days and the Eternal Kingdom fixed in their heart. They were strengthened. They were encouraged. They, they still had problems. They still had opposition. They still had the nations and chaos around them, but they had a vision of the Son of Man a vision of the ancient of days, a vision of the kingdom that will never end. And 10,000 times 10,000 around the throne of God who sits in judgment on the world. That's the Son of Man is presented before the ancient of days like he is in Revelation, dominion and glory, kingdom and people and nations and languages serve him. Dominion is an everlasting dominion. There is no end to his kingdom. The stone from the mountain has hit the feet of the image. And the image and the, and the stone has become a kingdom and has taken over the whole earth. The same picture. This is the messianic kingdom. Jesus said it in 
when his disciples asked him about, he, they said, his disciples said, teach us about Bible prophecy. He said, let's go up on the mountain, Mount of Olives. He gives what we call the Olivet Discourse. Can you imagine sitting at the feet of the Son of Man while he's describing himself coming in his kingdom? And this is what he says in Matthew 24, 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven in power and great glory. This is Jesus saying, that's me. It's clearly and obviously, can you see Jesus in chapter 7? You cannot not see Jesus in chapter 7. Did the people of God merit this because of their faithfulness? Answer that question. Did the people of God merit this because of their faithfulness? Was God rewarding them because of their faithfulness? No, he was not because they were not faithful. They're in Babylonian captivity because they disobeyed him, and yet he's coming in clouds to subdue their they're enemies. How wonderful is that? You see the grace of God. Don't, don't say the grace of God isn't evident in the Old Testament. Read it more carefully. And his justice is clear, and his grace is clear, his mercy is clear. Now, now Daniel says, I want an explanation, and I love this, probably an angel, gives him a really succinct and clear definition of, of what's happening. Uh, I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning this, and he, and so he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the thing. By the way, can I, can I help you with this? When you go through this section, think of it like a script in a play, and it helps you understand it better. Who's speaking? Daniel, the, the, Daniel asks a question. This person, this angel speaks back. Then Daniel has a longer kind of discourse, kind of question where he goes over what he's heard. And then the angel answers back, and it helps you understand what's happening here. So track with that. I approached one of those, verse 16, who stood there, asked him the truth concerning uh, this. He told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. Here it comes. These four great beasts were four kings who shall arise out of the earth, see earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and forever and ever. That's all you get from the angel at this point. It's just simple. I like this. I like this angel or whoever this messenger is. Just like, let's keep it simple. God wins in the end. God wins and all the good people that are with him, all the people that are with him win with him. The saints of the most high. He subdues all their enemies. That's it. That's the synopsis the angel gives. These four great beasts are four kings who arise out of the earth, but the saints of the most high will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. It almost sounds like the great storyteller who says, and they all lived happily forever and ever. Daniel says, I have more questions. Good students are this way, right? Your teachers. And now they're like, wait a minute, I have another question. Daniel's like, wait a minute, I, I have another question. I like this. Verse 19, back to Daniel. I desire to know the truth. Daniel's going to talk for a while here. Listen to what he says. I desire to know the truth about the fourth beast. Ah, that's a good question. Smart, smart students ask smart questions. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I get Babylon. I get Greece. <laughs> I get Medo-Persia. I get Greece. Who is the fourth? And the horn guy. Tell me more about that. Daniel's naturally asking. I need to know more about that. I desire to know the truth about the fourth beast, 
which is different from all the rest, exceeding terrifying, with teeth of iron and claws of bronze, which devoured and broken pieces and stamped what was left with his feet. Daniel's still talking. And about the ten horns that were on his head and the other horn that came up, and before the three of them fell, and the horn that had eyes and a mouth and spoke great things, and that seemed greater than his companions. As I looked, the horn made war with his saints and prevailed over them till the Ancient of Days came, and the judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Daniel's still speaking, going, tell me more about that part right there. Daniel's pretty sharp. Thus he said, answer. Script goes back to the angel. As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different than all the kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom, ten kings will rise. It's sort of interesting because the chapter two doesn't say the image has ten toes, but you kind of wonder if it doesn't because you have probably have ten toes. If you don't have ten toes, I don't want to hear about it right now. Most people do. And you can give me credit right now for doing a funny story. I'm not going to tell you. So just give me credit. Anyway, you probably have to, the beast probably has ten horns, ten, ten toes. They're, they're, this is actually pointing forward toward the time of the end. You're going to see later on that this has to be, has to have a component in the end time. And, and you'll, you'll see there are a number of reasons why it has to have a component in the end time at the return of Christ. So you have these, these kingdoms in history, but the last kingdom, the Roman kingdom, has some congruity with the kingdom in the end time. And, and these mystery of ten different kings or horns, ten maybe toes in the image, and then there are three in particularly strong. And, but this one overcomes. We don't know all about this, but we do know there's this one, and this one is also called the Antichrist. So, so you track it with me? In the end time, there's going to be a powerful kingdom that has different entities, different kings or leaders, but one of these is going to prevail above the strongest of the others, and he's going to blaspheme God, and God's going to crush and destroy him, and Jesus is going to come in the clouds of glory, and he's going to create a kingdom that it rules over all of the earth. It's repeated over and over here. As for the fourth beast, this is verse 23. There shall be a fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, shall devour the whole earth, trample it down, break it to pieces. For the ten kings out of this kingdom, ten kings shall rise, another shall rise after them, shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. He'll speak words against the Most High, wear out the saints of the Most High, see it, uh, blasphemy, anti-Semitism, think to change times and law, and be given, they shall be given into his hand. And here's a hint. This particular period of time is repeated in different ways, other places in the Bible, in prophetic literature, in the book of Revelation, as an example, chapter 13. For a time, times, and half a time. It's a clear tie to end times. But the court shall sit in judgment... His dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed in the end. Let's keep this really simple like the angel originally made it. Anything that rises up against the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man will get swallowed up in his kingdom. That's what you need to know. That is what you need to know. That is what the angel said Daniel needed to know. Daniel still has questions and so do you and so do I. Godly people who love the Bible will always have additional questions. Who are, who are the identity of these things? But Daniel says he puts these things, he keeps these matters in his heart. That's what devout people do. They keep these matters in their heart. 
So this is what happens with, with, with Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, the little horn speaks words against the Most High, wears out the saints of the Most High, thinks to change times in the law. It's blasphemous. In, in Revelation 13, the beast is speaking great things and great blasphemies. And it's compared Daniel 7 and Revelation 13, the beast and this little horn, also called the beast, and Daniel 7. Daniel 7, 21, makes war with the saints. Revelation 13, 7, given unto him to make war with the saints. You see what I'm doing here? I'm comparing those two. Like this, this is uh, a description of something that's happening in the end of time. Daniel 7, 20, he wears out the saints. Revelation 13, 7, he makes war with the saints to overcome them. Daniel 7, 20, he seems greater than all his companions. Revelation 13, 7, he rules over all of them. Daniel 7 and 25, times, times, half a time. Revelation 13, 5, it's called 40 and 2. It's the same, it's three and a half years. It's the second half of the tribulation. This is, brings me to point number three, and that is always keep this picture in your mind when you're dealing with chaos around you. When you're sad because your loved ones aren't doing what they ought to do, keep this in mind. When you worry about who's going to get elected and what they're going to do, keep this in mind. Brian Chappell wrote this, and I thought he summed this up well. I read it to you from Brian Chappell. The clear message we are to take home from these descriptions is that we cannot allow the circumstances, we cannot allow the circumstances of the moment to eclipse our understanding of the eternal stage upon which God is fulfilling his purpose. The unchanging nature of the ancient of the, you heard it between songs today, preached as specifically as I'm going to preach it right now. The unchanging nature of the ancient of days should give us perspective on both current events and per our personal lives. Still quoting Brian Chappell, he said, election results, economic earthquakes, stock market trends, family circumstances, medical reports, personal trials, these will all change, but our God does not change. Though the earth gives way and the mountains are cast into the sea, our God reigns and he does not change. In, Revel in Acts 17, Paul said, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, determining ahead of time their allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. This summer on my, on my day off reading list has been Roger W. Thompson's little book, We Stood Upon the Stars. Isn't that a nice cover? Has a little VW van and he's camping at the foot of the mountains. It's a little journal of, uh, of a young man who is trying to capture a little life for his family. He's, he's trying to learn, teach his sons to build a fire, but he's not really very good at it himself. He's trying to teach his sons, so he has two boys, he's trying to teach his sons how to fly fish, but he can't really remember what his grandpa told him, and his grandpa's dead now. He's only got so much time to work with because he's working all the time. But when he gets a little break, he tries to take him out, he and his wife, and he tries to take him out in their VW van and drive into the mountains somewhere and camp out. But his VW van's always breaking down and he doesn't know how to fix it. And he's looking at stuff and his kids are asking him, what is that, dad? And they know he doesn't know what the parts are. He says, I, I feel like such a loser all the time. 
Roger wasn't very good at fixing things. He was raised without a dad, with only a distant memory of his grandfather who seemed to know how to do everything. He wants a happy, fulfilled wife, but there are only so many hours in a day and so much money in his wallet. And he is all too aware of how inadequate he is at so many different things. And on camping and fishing trips and family vacations, his planning is often inadequate. His VW van breaks down. He's afraid his wife and kids can see how incompetent and how insecure he is. But every once in a while, out in the wild, looking at a trout river or a mountainscape or a field of stars in the heavens, he finds his bearings. And he remembers that he is a child of God and the Holy Spirit lives in him. And his God's plan is right on schedule and he is a part of it. In Christ, he is all that he needs to be. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel guilty and I feel ashamed. Sometimes I feel clumsy and sometimes I'm undisciplined. Sometimes I'm selfish and sometimes I can't fix. Most of the time, I can't fix what needs to be fixed or do what needs to be done or figure out what I need to know. And sometimes things in my life seem chaotic and out of control. And sometimes things happen to people I love that break my heart and I can't change them. And sometimes I fail to plan ahead and I end up where I shouldn't be. And that's when I read about the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man and the peaceful kingdom that will never end. And I don't feel defeated anymore. I feel like a prince with God. I don't feel so much like a loser then. My Bible tells me I'm more than a conqueror, a superhero in Christ. Even when it looks like I'm lined up for the slaughter, I'm an overcomer, even when I feel defeated. I was talking to an old pastor one day. I said, how are you doing? How are things going? The old pastor says with a seasoned voice, well, it's been tough lately, but the last inning hasn't been played yet, and the final score's not in. You may think your life and your work are insignificant and you may feel like a loser but you have a throne near the throne you have the word of life you have eternal life and you are on the winning team and you are on an important mission praise be unto God make me a blessing to someone today Daniel was troubled verse 15 verse 28 and I believe it's not a lack of faith that God would deliver him because he knew that God could deliver him. You know what I think it was? I believe Daniel cared about the kingdoms he served and the people he served with and the people around him that were also being swept into a vortex of chaos. But he was, he was confident, but he was still burdened, just like we should be burdened. As I looked, thrones were placed. The Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was pure like wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came from his, out from before him. A thousand thousand served him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment. The books were open. 
I saw in the night visions, and behold, the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, came to the Ancient of Days, was presented before him. To him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. His kingdom one that will not be destroyed. So when I read Daniel 7, I still have some unanswered questions. Maybe you do too. And I may be concerned for those who don't know God. And I may be brokenhearted for the direction that my country is headed. But I know the final score is not in yet. And Jesus wins. Jesus is victor. Stand with me.